Well, what exactly are police trained to do? The reason we ask this question is not just because of stories in the news about police behavior, but specifically because of what's been heard in testimony at the inquest into the death of Miles Gray, who had an altercation with Vancouver police in 2015 that led to his death. Now, we've heard at this inquest that the first officer on the scene said she couldn't recall having any kind of uh, de-escalation training or training dealing with people having a mental health crisis. And that really surprised me. I mean, what are police trained in when it comes to those kinds of situations? Well, Dr. Scott Blanford is an assistant professor and program coordinator of policing and public safety at Laurier University and has decades of experience, not just in teaching, but in policing as well, and joins us now. Thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for asking me. So when it comes to training then, is is de-escalation training a, a part of what police learn? Uh, it is. And again, I, I'm in Ontario, so our training is, is a little bit different. But generally across the country, it's consistent in how officers are trained. At the basic recruit level, they are trained in the use of force model. And that includes uh, communication, officer presence, uh, the use of empty hand or soft techniques, impact weapons or intermediate uh, weapons, all the way up through lethal force. So part of that is de-escalation. That is always a tactical consideration that's built into the use of force response model. And that is taught to all officers at the basic recruit level and then is reinforced through generally annual uh, recertification in use of force. That includes firearms and empty hand techniques and dealing with mental health uh, persons in distress. Okay, let me ask you then, what is the use of force model? It's a model that's been accepted across Canada. There's different variations, but it, it arose out of uh, discussions back in the early 80s on how to articulate the different levels of force that are used in response to the actions of a particular subject. So there's a national model and that's been adopted by uh, the vast majority of police organizations in, in Canada. The British Columbia uh, Police Act requires a police service to adopt a model, and, and the generally accepted model has been put out by the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police. And it's basically, it's, it's a wheel, so it's meant as a continuum. What does that mean? Uh, it, it means that it's, the officer is constantly assessing and responding. So it, rather than it, it, traditional use of force models were very linear in nature, in, like a staircase in that you had to move from one level to the next and there wasn't the option to to de-escalate situations necessarily. The That's why the new use of force model has been designed as a wheel. So it allows for a constant reassessment of the situation and that a use of force can either escalate or de-escalate depending upon the actions and the tactical considerations of the subject. Okay, and what is the empty hand technique? That could be something as simple as taking physical control of a person. In order to physically uh, arrest a person, an officer has to take control of them at some point. That's part of the arrest process. And so that could be something as simple as putting a hand on a person's arm. It could be uh, a joint manipulation or a, a physical control to take the person to ground where they're more uh, readily controllable. And then that could escalate to uh, a hard uh, hand technique, which would be a strike, uh, a fist, an elbow, a knee strike, a, a kick of some sort, and then you start moving into the uh, use of force options that are considered impact weapons, uh, conductive energy weapons, 
pepper spray, those right. types of things, and then you continue walk on up to firearm. Dr. Blanford, so when you see these stories and you read about them and you see what's happening in terms of concerns about, you know, how police sometimes interact with people, what do you think? Like, have you been following some of these stories? I have. Uh, I've tried to familiarize myself with this particular case as much as possible uh, in a short time. And it's very similar to the types of cases that are happening across the country. One of the situations that has really come to the forefront over the past few years in policing is the number of persons that are suffering from uh, a mental illness or in distress uh, or drug-induced conditions. And it creates a real challenge for police because in many cases, police are trained to address an immediate issue. They're not trained to be mental health workers. And the expectation that an officer can arrive on scene and immediately determine whether a person is suffering from a mental illness, whether it's drug-induced, just a rage issue, it's very challenging. And quite often, they have to deal with the immediate threat to public safety first. Then they can address the mental health issue if it's an underlying condition. So there's a lot happening, and these situations are very dynamic, they're very fluid, uh, and they happen very quickly. Okay, so is it clear or not, though, that we need, perhaps officers really need more training on this, given that we are hearing in police forces right across the country that they are dealing with these kinds of cases, with mental health cases? Well, training is, is never a bad thing. It's always good to increase the knowledge, the awareness, and the competencies of officers on the street. But in order to, to train them to a, that high level that seems to be expected of officers is somewhat unrealistic when you consider all the other issues that they have to receive training on as well. I think there needs to be a, a more synergistic approach. The social safety net seems to have collapsed with the deinstitutionalization that happened in the, the early 90s, the lack of resources available for social programs and mental health programs. So there needs to be a, a more concentrated synergistic approach and not having it fall upon police. The problem is, is that three o'clock in the morning, when you have someone who is suffering from that type of situation, it's the police that respond and there's quite often no other resources available. So police are unfortunately thrust into that position and respond the best they can. But the reality is, is that they're not trained to that high level as a a mental health worker would be. Okay. So then how, what would we do then in these situations? So if somebody is clearly having uh, an episode like what we have been hearing about, the call is to 911. The call is to police. What, how can we train the situation so that we respond differently? Well, the training can consist of uh, a number of different layers. The, the first one is, is teaching the officer to recognize when that person is in distress and the ability to discern whether it's alcohol-induced, whether it's mental health-induced, or, again, it's just a fit of rage. So the first component is being able to determine the the underlying cause, and that requires training and and recognition skills. Then the skills in de-escalation or understanding what a person suffering from mental illness is going through and how to respond to that is different. In many cases, uh, dealing with a regular person, the, the officer presence, the, the threat of the use of force is often enough to gain compliance. But when a person is not rationally thinking through these situations, those are often triggering mechanisms for those people, and they need to be approached in a different manner. 
Okay, so then, Dr. Blanford, what do you think the public should keep in mind when we are hearing and reading and watching these stories? Well, quite often they don't have the whole picture. That's the first case. And my understanding from this particular case is that there were no independent witnesses uh, to the actual incident. So first off, you have to look at everything and understand that you do not have all the facts. The other point is that the use of force is dependent upon the officer's perception of the threat to themselves and to other members of the public. So each officer will respond differently. In this case, with a number of officers, there, one option is always to contain the person and allow them to work through the situation while additional resources, which need to be funded and included as part of the mental health response. Many organizations across the country are, are re- looking towards critical incident teams, CITs they call them, uh, working with officers, and those are specifically trained uh, mental health experts and practitioners that are able to respond on scene with the officers. So there needs to be greater funding and greater integration of these types of services into the police response to persons with mental illness. Dr. Blanford, thank you so much for talking to us this morning. Thank you.